That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. And now you're taking on more projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay right now. There's a lot of stuff I want to do. And I, I've been talking to them about stuff. And there's, like, creator own stuff I'm, I've been working on for a while. But, yeah, it's just a lot. I mean, if I could write, honestly, like, it's kind of funny. It's, like, I, I actually really like the idea of writing one comic a week. But it's it's weird. Like, if, if all I had to do is depend on myself, I could do one comic a week easy um like i have a system but then what happens is is i'll have to wait on somebody else for something and when i have to wait on somebody else for something it's like it kind of causes a bottleneck and that's where it gets like it gets kind of rough doing that because you'll like you know you turn something in and you have to like wait to hear back if it works or confirmed or not and that can take like sometimes it can take a day sometimes it can take a week and it takes a week and and the thing is for me uh, for me like i'm one of the least (laughs) this won't sound humble at all but i'm one of the least like difficult creators i think in comics and because i'm kind of like a a well-oiled machine it's like a whole thing about like the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing because my stuff is usually like runs like a pre-well-oiled machine when it starts to break down nobody really notices for like two weeks and then it's that thing of like but there's other projects this is for every publisher this happens at every publisher the projects that are like falling apart always gets the most attention which kind of works if you're just like like me a well-oiled machine that just kind of works but then what happens is sometimes you just need an answer for something, and it'll take a week, and all I need is an answer. But it's because they're distracted by the stuff not working. Cool situation. Uh, David Marquez just comes over to uh, to, to DC now from Marvel, yeah. and uh, yeah, you're doing his first project. Yeah, I love I love David. David is awesome. David is um, David's good people, dude. He lives here in Portland. David Marquez and I met. Um, in Brian Michael Bendis's class, so I took Brian Michael Bendis's writing class um, almost ten years ago. Right now, I guess 2010, and um, after that, and I started doing stuff. I was already doing stuff at Image, and I'd already done a little bit of stuff at DC and Marvel. But later on, once I was a little more established, and I think like Nailbiter had been coming out for like maybe a year or so, he asked me if I wanted to come and guest speak, and it would be me. And a couple other people, and David Marquez was there, and we just kind of like, you know, you start talking to this person, and you're basically, you know, you're doing like a and a talking about collaboration. You talk a little bit about like the challenges you had kind of coming up, and, and the things that, you know, worked and didn't work when you were breaking in, but a large part of that particular class was about, or that particular time he would have us come in was always about what it's like working with another person. That's why you have like a writer and an artist, mm. so we could talk about it talk about what it's like you know the good and the bad parts of collaborating and the challenges of it and so it was kind of funny like because david and i had had that experience so we we did it um twice a year for like three or four years in a row because of that we like know all each other's weird little tics and habits because it's like if i'm talking about things i like or don't like or challenges i've had with artists or things i like about artists and he's like 
sitting there talking about uh, things he likes that writers do and things he doesn't like writers do. It, it's like we're both on the same page in a weird way. So when we started working with each other, it went really well. Like, it, it clicked. I mean, I went to his house before he decided for sure he was going to come to D.C. He, he wasn't really sure if he was going to leave Marvel or not. And he also wanted to make sure things were on the up and up, that he wasn't doing anything shady. Um, but I went over there and I was like, all right, here's the plan. I gave him, I basically pitched him everything we were doing. Um, all, like, the big plans for... Uh, 2019 2020 and like a tiny bit 2021 but mostly mostly the plans for 2019 and the, and the 2020 stuff and uh <laughs> did someone just take a <laughs> <shit>? <laughs> it's all unmuted it's all my mute button was on <laughs> anyway <laughs> best podcast ever hey my apologies keep it real blowing my nose and blowing my nose and I threw the toilet paper away and I didn't realize it was not on mute. We're keeping that in. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. No, um, poor David. Uh, so, <laughs> so David Marquez, uh, yeah, so, so David, he, um, I pitched him everything and he was really into it and he actually got it and like he sat there and he read a lot of the stuff we had done with Metal and No Justice and he read everything and, and then he agreed to come over and I mean, we, we actually kind of waited a little bit because we were going to publish the book earlier. Originally, Batman Superman number one was supposed to come out in June. Um, but we pushed it back. We waited two months for him. Um, mm, okay. And then it just worked out. It actually worked out because of... It was really weird, man. It all kind of came together because it was one of these things where it was like, well, if we had come out in June, we would have we ruined the ending to Batman Who Laughs. Yeah. Right, right. Right, so it kind of worked out, and then it was it was like a weird like confluence of events. Where first we were like, "All right, well, let's push it to July. Let's wait till July. That way we don't ruin the end of Batman Who Laughs." And then it was like, "Okay, we're not gonna be ready yet. Let's not push a book out if we're not ready. Let's go ahead and do it in August." So we push it to August. This is before we even announced it, and then it was really clear, like when Scott was working on Batman Who Laughs six, that it was like that comic was gonna end up being like forty eight pages long or something. And they were just like, we'll break it into two and we'll do an issue seven. So it worked out. So it's one of those things where it's like we never ended up messing up. Like we never ended up ruining what um, Scott was doing and Jock was doing with Batman Who Laughs. And, but he's been worth it, you know, and like stuff Dave is doing is awesome. Um, like he's going to be starting issue five soon. So we're pretty far ahead. Uh, but yeah, man, he's great. I love working with David. He's been really awesome. And he, um, he came up with some really cool ideas. Like the whole thing about how... It's the the batarangs. That's the mm-hmm. batarang. I mean, last losing like that was David's idea. Like we were having all these conversations about what he was using, and I think we were just like, "Oh, he's just gonna inject them with like a syringe." And then he was like, "Well, you know, all this stuff's about metal. Shouldn't it be like something made of metal?" And I was like, "Oh, batarangs. Yes, <laughs> you're right. That is what we should do." So I don't know. David's been great. I like him a lot. I'm bummed out because he moved. He was living here in Portland for the last couple of years, and then he moved back to Austin just uh just like two weeks ago. Like oh, two, he's in my backyard. Yeah, yeah, he just got there. He just got there. I'm gonna see him tomorrow. We're, we're doing some comic book stuff. I'm gonna see him tomorrow, maybe Monday, I think, but tomorrow, I think. But um, yeah, he's he's great, David. I got I got super lucky to be able to get David over. I've been a fan of his for a while. I really liked when he was doing the stuff with. I mean, he mostly only worked with Bendis. He did like one thing, and then he started working with Bendis. Um, but yeah, I like David a bunch. Like we just got lucky, and, and the book looks great, and there's stuff. Like, it's interesting because this is the first time he's done anything for DC. Anything. 
and he's going right at Batman and Superman. And we're not just doing just Batman and Superman. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's little cameos and stuff throughout with all different kinds of heroes and villains and stuff. So he's getting like thrown to the deep end in some ways. And with each issue, you can see it getting like better and better that he's getting more comfortable with that, with this universe. But yeah, David's great. I guess we can go full spoiler. Um, sure, you can go full spoiler. Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to tell you I've been having so much fun reading the Flash Year One arc that you got going on. Oh, thanks. Um, and then I read Batman One, and I got a real bone to pick with you, man. All right, fire away. <laughs> what I do? <laughs> that ending pissed me off. No, right. I loved it. Thank no, you, I loved it. I loved it. I was like, oh, shit, he's going for it. This is awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it was like, I wish I wish we had been able to keep it secret. Like, that's one of the only things that's really challenging about monthly books. And I've had this conversation with them ever since I came back when I started doing Flash, where it was like, how do you keep some stuff secret? And it's impossible. Like, it's so challenging now. Yeah, with the solicitations. I mean, don't you hate that as a writer? Oh, yeah. It drives me nuts. But what I have to recognize is that, like, yeah, like, we live it, right? Like, all of us, we're really big Batman fans. We're, like, obsessed with comic books. And we, we, we you know, we read the solicits. We look at the covers. Like, I've been doing that since I was a kid, right? Like, the moment I learned you could do that, I was doing it. The majority of the readers don't, we've kind of learned. So it's tough. It's tough. It's a really weird balancing act that we've been trying. I've been trying to crack it. How you do it best? How you can surprise people? And sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. But sometimes it's hard. Like it's hard to to not have. Because think about this. Like we've already shown the cover to issue four, and one hasn't even come out yet. Like how do I not push Zam on it? And then think about this: is that like, how do you keep that secret from retailers? And how do you keep it? Like, you, you kind of want people to know there's cool stuff happening in the book, right? Like, they're not going to buy it unless they know there's cool things happening. So sometimes you have to, like, give away some stuff sometimes. But, I mean, there's a trick to it. There's a trick to it. It's not about the character. It's about what the character is doing, right? That's the thing. So you can put them on covers and stuff. But, yeah, it drives me a little nuts. It drives me a little nuts. But, you know, we try to find a balance. We try to find a way to make it work. And that's part of the math. That's actually part of the, like, I love puzzles. That's part of the puzzle of, of working on like big two superhero stuff is like, how can you do this where it's a surprise, but you've already given it away a little bit. Well, like, and that's, you mentioned Bendis and that's one of the challenge he has with his Leviathan book is that he's trying hard not to have any spoilers, give it away the major plot points, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get away with it a little, it depends. It, there's like a lot of different variables in it, but I don't know. It's something we, we talk about a lot. We talk about a lot when we're trying to figure this stuff out of like, how can you actually surprise people now? But it's interesting, right? So like go, go totally into spoilers. And I, I don't want to talk about this a lot, but uh, Batman came out this week and you know, there's a scene with Alfred in it. Right. Right. And there were people like retailers saying on Twitter that they wish they had known because if they had known, they would have ordered more. Yeah. So does that mean that by not telling people in advance that DC lost money? Yeah, that's a good point. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with Marvel and, and Image and anybody. Like retailers were upset when they found out that Walking Dead 193 was the last issue. If they had known, they would have ordered a lot more. 
but they yeah. didn't. There's a, that, that's where the balance comes in sometimes, and it's really challenging. Um, it's tough. It's tough. But like I said, you just try to make it cool. That's it. Like, that's it. So that's the thing with Batman Superman. Like some of the endings, we would try to find ways of of twisting it around and make it so it's not just about like, oh look, here's his character, a character reveal. It's it's about what they're doing and what they say and why they're there. Like that's the stuff that you make. It's important for the story. And with with this particular issue, uh, going back about a month, a month and a half ago, uh-huh. they released that preview of it that showed the last page, uh, the, the the Billy Batson reveal. That was the cover. So we never actually showed the last page. But we showed the cover issue too. There's there's a preview because before like I got a copy of oh, uh, oh, a, a digital. Copy. Yeah, there was the retailers. But before that even came out, there was one of the websites had a, a preview of of the series uh, mm-hmm. of the of the issue, and it showed the not the not the Shazam uh, holding Superman page, but the the close up of him saying, "My name is Billy." Billy. Oh, Billy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, way early. You know, you want, it's weird, right? Like you want to sell the books, so you got to tell people what's happening in the book. Um. Well, I'm glad you liked the ending. That's what matters. It, yeah, okay. yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, like I was saying, I'm, I'm having so much fun reading Flash. And then reading this, I was so scared. I was like, oh, my God. He's going, like, total horror. Kind of going back, you know, like. Well, we, we, we have Tom doing what he's doing with uh, Alfred over in Batman. And then you doing what you're doing with, uh, with Jim Gordon here. Because <laughs> uh, the scene after Batman and Superman leave him on the roof. We see that sort of silhouette shot of him, that that sort of yeah. Sin City looking panel of him, and he's starting to laugh. Yeah, yeah, he plays a big part of the story. Like he definitely is manipulating things behind the scenes, um, working with the Batman who laughs. Uh, yeah, to kind of manipulate and put people where they want them. I mean, the only reason why Batman Superman ended up in that Batcave was because Warden sent them there. Like he put them on the trail to get there, so he kind of led them into a trap. Um, so yeah, man. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, that's the thing we, we talk about a little bit is that, like, things are definitely, um, okay, so it's like this, like, have you ever heard the term of, like, a hero is only as good as their villain, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that for your heroes to be, like, as strong and to show how great your heroes are, that means you really got to put them through something. That means you really got to confront them with villains that are really strong. So that way your heroes can overcome and show how great they are, right? It's like, you can only see how bright and how like great and how much your heroes shine when you put them in darkness right like that's when they shine the brightest is when they're in the dark and so that's what the story is and that that was the thing i thought about this a lot was like with batman and superman how best to show how bright and shiny it's like with flash too right where it's like how hopeful and optimistic and all those things you have to test it and you got to put them in that dark to see how much they shine because if you're standing in the daylight you have a flashlight you can't tell a flashlight's bright you can only tell at night and that's that, true that's true right so i think about that a lot about superheroes you know and i think that's when you can tell some books kind of like they're good and everybody's happy and everything's working but you lose interest in it i think it kind of doesn't it doesn't pop as much but when you put your characters through something and that's how you show how great they are because they overcome these things and that i learned a lot of that working on nailbiter it was like nailbiter was a book that yeah it was horror um but it allowed me to kind of play with those those elements and learn some of those tricks, and then yeah, so I'm trying to I'm trying to use that on Batman Superman. I'm trying to make it a little bit more um, a little bit of horror for sure, because I do that little bit of horror. I can 
don't know, I can play with it. I like doing that. I don't normally see Batman Superman. That. I think you see Batman in it a lot, obviously, like with Scott. Scott did a lot of horror stuff uh, with Batman. You don't see Superman like that as much. Well, you also don't see Shazam like that ever. No, ever. And and ever. that was what was really cool. I mean, I had a question. I was like, um, yeah. were, when you first started, and I don't know. I, I know that you know a lot of you creators start planning your your stories like this you know years maybe even months ahead have you always wanted to write uh including shazam billy batson or was there any influence with the recent movie that came out oh no no, no. i mean we planned this out a long time ago um yeah. it was the one we basically made like a list man i don't know man a year and a half ago we started talking about this so may of well we knew it was weird like we knew bits and pieces of it but this particular part really came up in like may of 2018 i think and okay. so we started making a list and started talking about it and going back and forth and being like which characters do we want to get infected and why okay and so we made this and and why not just why like why us but like why would the batman who laughs pick them that was right. a big part of it because it couldn't just be us like you know dicking around just being like what about this character what about this character right it cool it was like why would the actual batman who laughs pick some of these people what would be his motivation so we made this list and Shazam, it was funny, like, we made this list of the characters. Some of them we were like, oh, this this will be obvious, and this will be this and everything. But we were like, who's the heavy hitter? Who, who would be the heavy hitter? Who would be the one that you would not expect? And I remember we, we wrote Shazam up there. It was funny. I remember James wrote it. Because I said it. I said it. I was like, well, Shazam. Like, if we got Shazam, that'd be crazy. And but I was like, but don't write that up on the wall. Don't write that up on the wall, because it's not going to happen. <laughs> and James just wrote it up on the wall anyway. He was like, I'm writing it. <laughs> And uh, I remember when we came and, and we, we gave the list to them, um, and it wasn't a complete list. It was like a long list, but the, the big part was we had reasons for why. And I've always liked Shazam. I've always liked Billy Batson. Um, I actually really, it's funny, like, one of the reasons why we picked him was because of Underworld Unleashed. In Underworld Unleashed in the 90s, um, it was like Mark Wade and Howard Porter. I think it's 96, 97. It was like right before JLA came out. Um, in that story, Neuron goes out and he, you know, offers all the villains whatever they want, right? That's how they got Blockbuster. That's how Lex Luthor came back from the dead. Uh, Black Manta turns into, like, a big monster for a little bit. Um, I mean, I think the two biggest gets, and people might tell me I'm wrong on this, but two of the biggest gets were that Lex Luthor came back from the dead and is, like, the Lex Luthor we have now is that Lex Luthor. Like, or, you know what I mean? Like, the, the bald, like, thin, buff, Lex Luthor, because before that he was the John Byrne Lex Luthor, and then he was the long-haired Alexander Luthor Jr. or whatever. Right. Uh, and he died, and then he got brought back during Elder Unleash, and, and uh, there was a couple other things. Anyway, so throughout that story, it was like, oh, I'm going to corrupt these villains, and then I'm going to corrupt the heroes, right? And throughout the story, you think that Neuron wants Superman. You think Superman is who he's after. Because he's like the most pure of you, the most pure, the most pure, the most pure. And then Trickster, the original Trickster, James Jesse, he figures it out. He's like, oh, no, no, the most pure hero is Billy Batson. Which mm-hmm. is, that's who Neuron wants. And so when we were building this whole big story, uh, I'm a big fan of Underworld Unleashed. And so I think it's obvious sometimes. Um, like, that's why I had Trickster and uh, Flash, and he references that story. And um, there's obviously homages to that throughout some of the stuff we're doing with the Infected and some of the stuff the Year of the Villain. But, cool. you know, he, uh, I think the Batman who laughs looks at Shazam and there's two things to him. One, if I can corrupt him 
if I can take Shazam, who's one of the most pure heroes out there, and I can make him like me, that's a win, and that's scary, and I can prove to everyone else that none of you are, like, untouchable. I can get any of you. If I can get him, I can get any of you, right? And and then there's the magic connection. So it's yeah. like somebody who can infiltrate. Superman's weakness. Yeah, Superman's weakness. Somebody who can get into the Rock of Eternity. Like, it, he fills a role of... Now I have a, a strong soldier who is also able to use magic. I, he, I can send him after Superman because that's his weakness. But it's also a warning to all of you, a warning to all the heroes that if I can get him, I can get anybody. And so that was that was what we picked him. That was it. And it was funny. I w- didn't think we'd get him. And then once we uh, we pitched that and then I wrote that scene, the scene where he's like, my name is Billy Batson. And when I wrote that, that was when we knew we had him. Like Then we knew we were going to be able to use Shazam. Uh and yeah, it's it's awesome. He plays a big part in all this stuff. He's pretty mean. Issue two's um, it's funny with him because he's still Billy, right? Like he doesn't just become outright evil. It's like a thirteen year old kid with all these powers who suddenly is acting like a jerk. And he acts like a jerk before, but this is remember he was like that um, when Jeff and Gary Frank did that stuff where he was kind of a jerk before he got to the family and all that. Yeah, but this brings out like the worst parts of him where he's just. A little shit <laughs> and he's mean but he loves the idea of being able to fight batman and superman like in his mind he's like oh my god i get to fight batman and superman this is great this is <laughs> that's a big part and, of it too i like how after the uh, the trap is sprung you know after he reveals who he is says shazam it shows uh there's a little detail that shows how deep this was planned because the batarang that he pulls out against superman has superman symbol on it i'm glad you saw that because it's like that's a major part of this thing is those batarangs aren't um, just willy nilly created. They're they're each created for a reason, and they're each created for a specific person. And so that one is was made specifically for Superman. Um, Holy shit! It, now they're going to start marketing and selling those, and we're going to have to have them. I know. And then you're going to have to make another trip to Burbank and go through their you know archive <laughs> of collectibles and get them all. Oh, I'm doing that soon, my friend. <laughs> Steal all their shit. I'm already excited. How's about that? It. How's that Batman figure? Which one? The Dark Knight Returns figure that you got. Let's go. Oh yeah, that's it. I can see right now where I'm. I'm sitting. It's right in front of my Hot Toys Batman Returns, like the bigger one. But yeah, it's sitting right here. I have a bunch of Batman stuff. When you asked, I was like, which one are you talking about? There's been some I want to get. I, there was a couple of those. Uh, what do you call it? Well, there's those Mezco. Yeah, those those ones. They're, whatever they're called, one twelve or whatever. Um, <laughs> There was one that I missed. Oh, and what sucks is they actually they released one because stuff sells out so fast. They had one that was Gordon that came. They just released this, or they just they just yeah. put up on for pre-order, right? The Gordon I, one. I just got him. Oh my god! Like I'm, yesterday, yeah. I missed it. Is it cool? Because it comes with a little. Um, it comes with the bat signal, right? It's yeah. not little. It's big. Oh, is it's it cool. big? Man, it's really man. cool, and it really works, and it's like really bright. And the first thing I did was light up my entire house with the bat signal. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, I wanted that one. I'm, I'm going to have to get it on secondary. Or or sometimes by um, – there's a comic shop nearby me. They sometimes get the Mezco stuff. And so I, I kind of keep an eye out. Because there's that one, and then there's a Hal Jordan um, variant that they put out that was a previous exclusive that I want to get. Um, but, yeah, I get a lot of toys. So I'm definitely like a little bit off. <laughs> I have a lot. I have, I have a lot here in my office. I've been building um, my daughter and I. Um, so when when the Batman Lego, I'm gonna go on a little weird tangent. When the Batman Lego movie came out, 
the Lego, they started making, you know, toys that were just for the movie. And they have a couple of DC superhero ones, too. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to make a deal with myself because I, I, I get Lego sets. And I was like, all right, I'm going to buy I'm going to buy every single one of the Batman Legos that they make. <laughs> but they're not going to make that many, right? Jesus, <laughs> you're crazy. Oh, dude, I have, I have pretty much all of them. I don't have. There's a couple that I was like, all right, listen, I do not need to get Egghead. <laughs> like, I can, I can, I can hold off on getting this Egghead like a mecha suit. That one I can hold off on. But I have almost all of them. I think I'm missing like three or four at this point, and mostly because I didn't realize they just kept releasing them. And so, <laughs> you know, um, I was able to build them for a while. Uh, this my daughter was too young, and now she's old enough that I know she's not going to like put something in her mouth. And so every day we just we build Legos. That's when I get off work before, um, like you know, as dinner's getting ready, and then she eats dinner and goes to bed and everything. And uh, dude, it's wild. Like I'm building all these like crazy Lego sets of like I built the Batcave last Saturday, and uh, yeah, it's interesting with her because she like gravitates for certain characters, so she knows the names. She's only three, but she knows the names of all the characters, all the all the Bat villains now, and. Um, it's interesting to see which characters she's like, I want to play with this one. And it's like, she doesn't know anything about them. She, it, it's interesting to like talk to a kid that doesn't know the mythology, doesn't know the history of these Batman characters, but to see which characters they gravitate toward. And they're like, well, I want to play with this one. And it's like, one of the main ones she wants to play with is Joker. Like she wants to play with Joker. Um, she wants to play with Catwoman. Like she likes the Batman one, but there's also a million because every set comes to Batman, so it kind of like devalues it in a weird way. But it's like there's one Joker. She really likes Killer Croc, but I think it's just he's a Joker. <laughs> so, but Isn't it's it funny how they they gravitate towards the villains. My son's the same way. He loves Star Wars, and yeah. he loves Bubba Fett, Stormtroopers, Darth Vader, like all the villains. Yeah. See, this is why we did you're the villain to get like super insider with you. <laughs> they look the coolest. I mean, it's it's just a fact. You know, the villains, they have the coolest equipment. You know, you got to admit that the Empire's got the cooler spaceships in Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Em- I mean, yeah, Empire has better benefits as well. they got de- full dental. Full dental and, you know. I'm sure they have some kind of insurance because they just keep losing those Death Stars. You know, they just keep losing stuff. They keep getting blown up. Whereas um, the, the, Rebel, the Rebels can't even get a hand replaced. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, like, we, uh, it's interesting seeing what she does go, go for, you know, but you're right, it's, like, villains, people really like villains, and she, she goes for that stuff, but, I mean, that's the thing with, with, we'll get back to Batman Superman, like, it's so surprising, I guess, I feel, I, I shouldn't say surprising, I feel like Scott knew, because I remember we had a meeting with, um, we had a meeting in November of 2017 in New York, and that was the one where Scott pitched the Batman Who Laughs. Like we knew all the Dark Knights. It was like we knew some of the some of them. We didn't have names for all of them. Like we knew the Cyborg one was going to be Murder Machine, and we knew a little bit about um, what was the other one we knew. We knew like some of them, but we didn't know the names of them. But like it was interesting. Like the Grim Knight was made in that room, but didn't make it into metal. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he made it into the Batman Who Laughs series. But Scott was pitching the Batman Who Laughs. And I remember like, we were all like, yeah, this is really cool. Like, this is really cool. It's really fun. Um, but I don't think any of us knew how big it would get. Like, the fact that there's Dark Knight toys, that the Batman Who Laughs, like, is so popular. And quick. I mean, most and times, quick. you know, it'll be a couple years before merchandise starts hitting the shelves. No, there was 
Batman Who Laughs stuff out before, I want to say, before the series had even ended. Yeah, for me, the, the first uh, pieces did come out before the last issue of Metal hit. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, there was already statues and stuff. There was already, like, a Funko Pop. Like, I have a Funko Pop on my desk of him. Um, yeah, it's wild. Like, stuff like that popular. It reminds me, though, it does remind me of almost, like, how Venom was, you know, like, how Venom kind of became popular. I feel like Venom became popular quickly. Um it's interesting like that, you know? And then, but at the same time, people will talk about being sick of Venom, but now Venom is like, the movie made a billion dollars or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, but he's fun to write. I think that's part of it. He's fun to write. Like, Scott loves writing him. Um, I like I like writing him up against Superman because I think, and I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but it's like the idea that, like, you know him. He had his Superman, who dies at the beginning, right? Like he died during Metal, but you we show that again at the beginning of this, so you can we can establish that relationship that he had a Superman that he killed, and I think that the Batman who laughs regrets killing his Superman because he's. It's interesting. Like our Batman, Bruce. Like Bruce sees Superman as his friend, his partner, and they and he respects him, right? I think the Batman who laughs looked at his Superman as a tool, like a weapon to be used. Right. The fact that he got rid of that tool and the fact that he got rid of that weapon uh, bothers him. And that's part of why he wants his Superman back. And that's part of what this story is about is like this sort of um, him having this need to get his greatest asset, his greatest weapon back. Um, and that plays a part of this story that, that we're building. But I love writing him taunting them like taunting because there's a thing he can talk about man superman like, i know exactly what uh i know exactly what batman really thinks of you kind of stuff you know um and is he lying is he telling the truth is he is he exaggerating something but it's just fun to write because he is such a, a mean mean character it's it sounds small to say somebody is mean but that's what I, you know what i mean it's got to be fun as a writer to to be able to write a story like this and you get to think in that kind of frame of mind and you'd be like, you know, Batman would never do this, but the Batman who laughs would, and then you get to put it in a story. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing. It was like that when I was doing, um, Nailbiter, the, the image book I did was that I needed to, uh, if I could hear the Nailbiter's voice, if I could hear Warren's voice and in my head, right i could then the whole story would kind of base around him you know and you can hear these like nasty mean but like kind of funny in a weird way um and that's the thing about the batman who laughs like the batman who laughs because he is that mean version of, of batman and he has like you just said right it's like all the things you know batman is capable of doing or all the horrible things he thought of or all the horrible things he could possibly do um i don't think he's mean i think he's Actually, the most honest version of Batman. That's, because yeah, you know what, Bruce right. Wayne, real Batman, holds everything in. Yeah, you're right. He laughs, is like, fuck it, I'll say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's that's a great way to put it. Yeah, you're right. Um, when I was doing the first arc of... Um, the first arc on Flash with Godspeed, there was a couple things where I was like thinking about things we would never see Barry do, like Barry understands science, but he would never grab somebody and vibrate them through a wall, right? And like leave them there. 
And he would never shake somebody to the point where it was like a blender for their insides. But Godspeed would, you know? Mm -hmm. And we had those scenes like where he's like fighting a criminal and then it vibrates him into a wall and lets go of them to kill them. And it like drags a person, um, you know, a hundred miles in a second or whatever it is, right, to like kill them, right? And that's part of the fun things about doing Batman Who Laughs is it's like, now take that even bigger because Batman is such a like calculated person. I mean, look at Tower of Babel, which is such a great Batman idea and Batman story that Mark Wade did, where it's like, he knows how to do all this stuff. He knows how to take everyone down, but he would never do that. He's thought about every little possible variation, every little variable, what he could possibly do to take people down. And that's the story I thought of at the very beginning when, you know, you had Bruce or Batman and and Superman talking Mm -hmm. and, you know, Superman says, I know what you're doing. You're testing me. Yeah, that was the story I thought back to. That was one of the first scenes we wrote for the book was that was it was interesting. Like, I think in December and November was when I. I was writing outlines we were developing, but I think when I finally sat down to start writing issue one was probably like November, December. And when I was sitting there working on that, that was one of the first parts I wrote was this idea that Batman would be asking Superman questions and Superman would figure out that he was interrogating him. Because um, you also want to make sure that Superman isn't like punked out. He's a smart person, you know, he's an investigative reporter. So he also is a little bit wise to some of Batman's games. Like, he knows Batman well enough to know when Batman is doing something, even if he's trying to hide it. And he can totally tell that, yeah, he's interrogating him. I mean, this book, it's it's going to be pretty crazy. Like, issue two has a lot of really big moments in it. Um, three has one of my, like, favorite two-page spreads in it. Uh, four gets pretty nutty. There's, like, some crazy fights in four. Uh Five has a really... It's funny, like, five... Normally, it's interesting. Like, normally when you're doing books like this, the last issue is the one that's, like, all fighting and then has, like, a little epilogue kind of thing. Whereas in ours is almost in in a weird order because it's, like, four is a lot of fighting. And then five has fighting in it, but it also has really quiet moments. Like, there's little emotional moments throughout five. Um, And then six is sort of an epilogue issue, but it definitely carries into the rest of the DCU after that. And becomes a bigger becomes a bigger story, which you can kind of already see. We've already solicited back to solicitations. We already had to solicit some of the specials and stuff for the rest of the infected. Now, David's on the entire arc. Yeah, story. yeah. Cool. I know. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. That's why we were like, you know, do we push it back one more month? And it's like, yeah, if we can, if we can, if we can, let's push it back one more month. But it's interesting. I think by the time you get around to. I would say a month from now, about a month from this week, you'll start seeing how big this story gets and how, yeah. how it just starts to be like a really a big thing. Not to get too much into spoilers and stuff, but there'll be stuff announced in like a month. Um, but you'll start to see how big it gets. I already want a Shazam who laughs figure, toy, statue, whatever. I know. I hope we get that. August 28th is the release date, not only for uh, issue one of Batman Superman, oh, but you also have <laughs> Your 77th issue of Flash coming out the same day. Oh, dude, there's a lot of books that come out this week. <laughs> it's yeah. busy. I, I, I was thinking about the length of your run on Flash now, and yeah. I think that you might be second to only Mark Wade right now for the the longest run on Flash. No, I mean, well, 
uh, yes and no, because Carrie Bates was on the was on the books throughout the seventies and early eighties for like almost ten years. So like no one will beat Carrie Bates. But it's really weird though. I think I have the longest consecutive because Mark Wade took a break in the middle um, of his run. He took a break for a year, and Grant Morrison and Mark Millar wrote it for a whole year. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, I think Mark Wade's uh, run before his uh, break was like sixty issues or something. Yeah, Jeff did. Um, Jeff did sixty three issues in a row. Um, I mean, but you know, Mark was on that for a while too. Like I'm in double chip lands. So that's a whole other story, right? It's like I'm getting there twice as fast as they were. Where, I mean, Mark really didn't write that book for a long time, you know? I mean, he basically wrote it. There's gaps, because you have you have him, you have Brian Augustine would co-write with him sometimes. There's the the Grant Morrison, Mark Millar gap. But really, I mean, Mark Wade wrote it from, like, you know, the early 90s all the way through uh, until, pretty much until Jeff took over. And Jeff didn't take over until 2001. You know, so he did write it for almost ten years too. So it's it's nuts. Like those guys really did. Uh, they were on those books for a long time. Flash is weird like that. Flash has, Flash is one of those books. kind of like Daredevil, where someone stays on it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, seventy seven, dude. I'm I'm excited about this arc that we're doing with Death of Speed Force and all the stuff with uh, the Black Flash and. Um, but yeah, I've written I've written. Uh, 80 well including the annuals plus the uh the rebirth special um i have written like 80 87 issues of the flat total so far wow so yeah i'm a little i'm a little ahead um Mm. like i'm already writing for the 2020 stuff but yeah we'll see how far i get um i'd like to get to 100 but you never know i don't ever want to like i don't want to ever um jinx myself Mm. Yeah. Are are we going to get a Joshua Williamson Flash Omnibus? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Because I have those Jeff Johns ones, and I have the, the Francis Manipole one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. That's tough, though, when, you, when you're talking about 100 books. Uh, Jeff Jeff's funny, because the way they're doing... Because they're re-releasing Jeff's in these, like, those, those, like, paperback ones. They're collecting everything. So even the one that I think just came out or the one that is, yeah, the one that just came out, that one has uh, Rebirth plus like a Rogues three-parter he did plus um, the Blackest Night three-parter. So when you get those Jeff Johns ones, they're collecting everything, not just his initial run in the book, but even the Barry Allen stuff. So they're going to make it so it's like everything up until probably, I imagine, all the way until the last issue of Flashpoint will be in one of those books. So when you look at it, like Jeff has this huge library of uh, Flash books, and they, they're they going to have to like re-release those hardcovers. But yeah, I, w- I would love to have some kind of omnibus. I don't know how you would do that. You can't do a 100-issue omnibus. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, well, in volumes, they usually... Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome if I got like four volumes of that. I don't know. It'll depend on a lot of things. Let's see how it ends. I think that's gonna be the key. If I can get the ending the way I want it, get the ending I want, and and <laughs> you like cancel everything. Yeah, <laughs> that brings up a good question. Do you know how your your run is gonna end? Uh, I know how I want it to end. Um, okay. You know, I know exactly. Like I could I could lay it out exactly how I want it to end, and I know the big scenes. I know like there's a two page spread that I want to do in the last issue. There's all kinds of stuff. Like I I can I can see how I want that last issue to go. 
But the reality is I don't own these characters. And so it's like, you never know. And it's like, I still have to make sure, like my editors know, like the people who need to know, know. But you never know what can change between now. And, and also, I might change my mind. Like, and actually, right. already, like there was a moment really early on, I think in, in, I'm trying to remember when this was. It was before Flash War ended. So sometime around when I was still, no, Flash War hadn't even come out yet. So I think it was like right before Flash War started coming out. I was talking to one of the editors and I was like, oh, I kind of have an idea for what I want the last issue to be. And I was talking about it with them and I could tell they just like weren't digging it. You know, you can always tell like if someone's just not into it. And then I realized like I was like, I was just doing this ending that wasn't true to the story, wasn't true to the character and wasn't really true to me. And then by the time I got to issue, when I wrote 50, uh, I changed part of 50 knowing there was a big piece I wanted to do, but I was doing it too soon. And so I had to push it back. And once I pushed it back and I was working on year one, because um, we started working on year one pretty much right after Flash War ended, even though it didn't come out until this last summer, um, I figured out what I wanted. And it's because it's a completely different ending from what I thought I was going to do originally. Um, and it's better. Like, I can feel it's a way better ending that says way more about the Flash and the Flash mythology and way more about what I would want to end the story on and, and end it in a way that I can then hand the baton over to whoever else takes over the book and then give them material to play with, but also tell them, like, do something completely different from what I have done, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's like, so knowing that, knowing that the ending that I want to do now and how different it is from the ending I wanted to do two years ago, you never know what could happen. I might change my mind. Um, if I get all the way to 100, I, you know, I don't know. It happens sometimes. Like somebody's writing the ending to a book, and all of a sudden they go, "This isn't the right ending," and they change it. That happens, you know. Um, same thing with movies. Uh, so we'll see what happens when I'm writing that ending. If I realize it's the right ending or not. Mm. Does it does it feel weird to have like a year one, almost an well, I guess it is an origin story, so late into your your run writing? Uh, no. I don't know. I mean, I think about Jeff. Like, Jeff did Secret Origins for Green Lantern. I think that was two years into his Green Lantern run. Um, same thing with... Jeff did that with Superman. He didn't do Secret or He did Secret Origins with Superman after he'd been on Superman for a while. Uh, it's interesting, right? Because, like, Mark Wade did Born to Run. It's the first story arc of his Wally run, is Wally's origin. But... No, I don't know. I feel like it fit. It fit where I needed it to. You know, okay. it's like Barry needed to go back, relive this memory, and then now he's back to being optimistic because he relived that memory. And it works. Yeah. It, 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 like, works where it is in the story. Um, and we're going to collect it separately, so it'll be like, a, it's not going to be, like, it, it's not going to say volume 10. Uh, it would have been volume 12. It would have been volume 12, I think. But we're not going to collect it as volume 12. It'll be a separate, it's going to be a separate hardcover. And then you will read the arc that we're doing right now, and that'll be 12. Looking forward to that. I'm really having fun reading that. Mm. Thanks. Well, yeah. Developments and possibly uh, revisiting Nailbiter in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. I mean, we, I, Mike and I talk um, almost every day. Mm. I was talking to him yesterday, I was talking to John. Um, 
I think it'll just be a matter of time. There's a couple little things in there we got to do. And I, again, like everything else, I just want to make sure that we tell the best story we can tell. Cause I don't want to like come in and just do like, yeah. cause you think about horror sequels, right? Like I've been thinking about this a lot lately of like horror sequels, the best ones, they kind of, it's interesting. It's like they build upon it. They don't just do a repeat. They don't just do like, like, know, my, like Michael first. Myers Halloween and part two. Yeah. I want to do something that feels it, it, like it's tough, right? Because I wouldn't make it an action thing, but that's kind of like when you look at Alien versus Aliens, like Aliens becomes an action piece, more or less. Mm. Oh, if I'd be capable of doing quite that, but it's been something I, uh, I've been thinking about, like how to do a sequel that actually builds upon it. And I have a bunch of different ideas, and, and yeah, Mike and I talk about it all the time. So uh, just be patient. That's my answer. Oh, no, no, I am. I'm a, I'm a massive <laughs> fan of the book, and I, I reread it yeah, this time sure. of year. So I just, uh, you know, just... I. Yeah, I, just just, uh, just keep your eye out. Cool. Awesome. You guys like Batman Superman? What? Oh, uh, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's uh, cool to have another Batman Superman title. Yeah, definitely. Dude, yeah, I uh, I'm not sure I told you guys this when we talked last. When did we talk last? Was that December? When was that? Uh, it's been a while. No, it was. So yeah. so yeah, I uh, I mean, I'm not sure if I told you guys this last time, but it's like I way back when when I first started talking to DC and working at DC, like a little bit here and there, I would do like little short story stuff. Way back in 2009, um, 2000, yeah, 2009, 2008, like a little bit in there. I met with one of the editors, and he was like, all right, all right, you've done some small stuff. Let's move you up to these things. They're called inventory stories. And when you do an inventory story, it's like it might not ever come out, but it's like a test to see if you're like a crazy person or not and to make sure you're <laughs> actually good, you know? So they were like, all right. So they pulled me aside at a convention. I think it was Sanyo Comic-Con. I think it was Sanyo Comic-Con 2009. So they pulled me aside at a convention, and they are like, all right. We're going to give you an inventory story. We're going to pay you. You do a 20-page comic. We're going to see if you're a crazy person or not. We're going to see if you can write these characters and, and how you are to work with, blah, blah, blah. They're like, all right, you can pick, though. You can either do a Batman story or you can do a Superman story. But don't say Batman because everyone says Batman. And I was like, dang. So basically you're telling me I have to write Superman, like in my head. But I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. So I came back to him and I was like, all right, how about this? I want to do a Batman-Superman story, like a team-up. And he was like, oh, dang, no one has ever said that before. They always just pick Batman. <laughs> like, no, let's do both. And I was like, that's the whole thing. Is like, I want to work in DC Comics. I want to write these characters. If I can't write these two characters together, like, what am I doing here? You know? And so he was like, all right, let's do that. So I wrote a couple of Batman short stories, or Batman-Superman short stories. Um, only one of them came out. I think I wrote three. Only one of them came out, and it was a Damien hanging out with Supergirl one shot that appeared in Superman Batman, um, the original one from the 2000s. And that came out, and that finally came out in 2010, like end of 2010. But so I went, and every single time I was around those editors, every single time I would just be like, hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do this. Hey, can I, can I write Superman Batman every time? And even when I started working on Flash, that was like kind of on my mind. And last, oh man, almost two years ago, geez. So the end of uh, 2017, we went to, um, was it 2017? Yeah, in 2017, I was talking to them about just stuff. Like, what do you want to do kind of thing? And like, what do you really want to do? What do you really want to do? And I was like, I don't know what I really want to do. I don't think you guys are going to let me do. And they're like, what is it? And I'm like, I really want to do Batman Superman. Like, it's time. Let me have it, you know? 
And they were like, oh, it's too soon. It's not, you know, I think because also Bendis had just um, come over and was going to be doing uh, Superman. They were a little anxious about somebody else doing a Superman book at the same time. They're like, well, just wait, just wait, just wait. So I waited. But every time it would come up, I would ask about it. I would ask every single time. So like January of 2018, I was like, okay, when can I have it? Okay, cool, cool, cool. March, I was sitting there. We were doing a summit. And we're all having lunch, and I was just like, "All right, so when can I have Batman Superman?" Like every single time I was around the bosses, <laughs> and uh, in May we were having a meeting at breakfast, and uh, we started talking about uh, Batman Superman and all the stuff we were gonna do, all these like year of the villain plans we were building, and uh, I was just like, "This is like, yeah, this is May of 2018. So this is last year," and I was like, "You know, that'd be a perfect place to have a Batman Superman." <laughs> And they were like, oh, my God. And they were like, all right, yeah, that might make sense. That might make sense. And this kept going, kept going, and kept going until September of last year, so a year ago. Um, and I was having a meeting with them. Oh, no, first it was August. So we were at a convention in August, and I was like, all right, Batman Superman, what's up? What's going on, Batman Superman? And they were like, okay, we think we're going to give it to you. We think this is going to work this time, but we're not sure when they're going to start, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And then uh, two weeks later, I saw them again, and that time they were like, okay, Stop writing Odyssey. Because the time I was still writing just like Odyssey, they were like, stop writing just like Odyssey. Now you can start writing Batman and Superman. And I was like, yes, finally. Finally. So I've literally been trying to get this book for 10 years. I think that that wow. was just kind of a negotiating ploy. They they always <laughs> knew all along that you were the guy to do it. But they're like, let's make him desperate enough. Yeah. I need to be your agent, man. I, I get this shit done quicker. <laughs> well, when are you going to go be an editor and then get all the power? Oh, I don't know. I, I feel like that's like ten years from now. Okay. I think uh, I think sometimes people in their professions they have like a second stage of their career in a weird way, and I can totally see that like the second stage of my career being somebody who works in the office and works editorial because I actually really enjoy it. I really like doing all the world building stuff. I like all the event planning. Yeah, I like sitting there talking with creators, talking with editorial. I like being in the building. So I don't know. We'll see. But but yeah, literally, I've been trying to get this Batman Superman book for ten years. That's crazy. It well, took you finally got it. Uh, August 28th, uh, we finally get issue one. Uh, if you had to sum up what people should expect from the series and why they should pick it up, uh, what would you tell them? Jeez, these questions are always tough because it's like you want them to be short, but then I'm, I'm, a, long, I'm a long talker, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, as we talked about before, I think that if you really want to see how Superman and Batman, how they work together and how they really shine and really show how they're the greatest heroes in the DC universe, you got to put them into some really dark situations, and that's what we're going to do. Like, it's definitely going to be a dark situation to be in, but you're definitely going to be able to see how Superman and Batman are the greatest heroes coming through it. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you're interested in seeing your heroes go up against really hard challenges, this is definitely a book for you. But it's also a lot of fun. There's definitely a lot of fun elements. There's a little bit of playfulness to it. I definitely want it to be like the best kinds of horror where it has like a little bit of humor to it. So all that will go into this book. So if you're looking for that kind of stuff, you're looking for a little bit of a horror book, a little bit of a superhero book, I think you'll have fun with this one. Well, I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, definitely. And, and with you saying that David's art gets better as he gets more comfortable with the characters you mentioned, like it, the art in issue one is outstanding. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. He put a lot of work into it. Go ahead. I don't think you could have picked a better artist for him, for this story because, I mean, yeah. He does just, everybody so good. 
I got really lucky, dude. Because we talked, we 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 talked to other. We never talked to any other artists. We talked about other artists, and there was like one or two we kind of talked with a little bit. Um, but the moment David's name became an option, like we just shut everything down. <laughs> just like we're not going to talk to anybody else. We're not going to do anything else. It has, it has to be David. Uh, and and then it worked out. Like, it, yeah. So I just got really lucky, and he's doing kick-ass stuff. But I'm telling you, like the next few issues, there's there's crazy stuff in there. Man, I, mean, I was trying to. I was trying to I was trying to find some of his uh because he did a, a a small run on Daredevil yeah and I was trying he I think he correct me if I'm wrong but he draws digitally and then once he gets the artist proof back he'll put the artist proofs up for sale yeah he does he does um it's interesting so I'll I'll uh <laughs> so he does digital except for some stuff right so the covers are not digital. And then occasionally there'll be like a spread. So on issue one, the spread where uh, Superman and Batman are on the rooftop together, um, that he drew traditionally. And me, I have this thing where a lot of times I will get the last page of um, issue ones that I work on. And just keep it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so Nailbiter, so Nailbiter, I have the very last page. Birthright, last page. Ghost, I have the last page. Flash was done digitally, uh, both the Rebirth issue and the issue one, so I couldn't get the last pages of those. Um, same thing with Odyssey, uh, with Justice League Suicide Squad. There's a two-page spread during the, toward the ending that Jay Falbach actually did draw, so I got that. Um, but so I've always, you know, but with Batman and Superman, I was like, well, he draw it digitally, so I'm not going to be able to. And then just by coincidence, David drew the last page. Really? So you have it? That's the, yeah, I have it right here. <gasps> Yeah, I got like, it's like a few feet away from me. I couldn't believe it because him and I were talking, and he was like, "I don't know what we were talking about. I think we were talking about the cover." And he was like, "Oh, I did the cover traditional. I did that two-page spread traditional." And then he was like, "And I just decided, you know, I was in the mood. I think, I think his um, wife and kid were on vacation. He was home alone. He was like, I was in the mood, so I just drew the last page." And I was like, "What? You really drew the last page?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" So yeah, can I get that from you? <laughs> Oh wow, that's so yeah. I have it right here. I haven't framed it yet, though. I have to get it framed. Uh, but yeah, man, yeah. Like it was such a. I don't know. This book has been a really good experience, and I'm curious people are going to think about it because yeah, it is a little. It is a little on the dark side, but it's you know perfect. I like that. Well, da- I like dark it. is good, man. Um, what do you, what do you feel about this uh, current popular growing trend with the marriage between DC Comics and these horror elements like you know we have DC's Metal had a lot of it and you got Deceased right over here and now yeah, and, and, and now like you know you're you're pretty much a master at it as well like Nailbiter could attest to that like do you I think it's a great trend growing from what I see how, how do you feel about it coming you know in terms of coming from your background as uh, dealing with those <laughs> elements I feel like you definitely have to have a balance you know like yeah. I like Tom's doing with Deceased but like not every book should have it obviously like I like doing it here but the reason why it works here is because Bendis isn't doing it in his books. Like, because otherwise it would just be white noise, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I do like it, you know, because I like that stuff. Like, I really like Scott's Batman run. Um, and there's a lot of horror stuff, especially in Court of Owls. Like, especially in Court of Owls. You can see a lot of darkness in that story and a lot of horror stuff that he would play with, um, him and Greg. And, you know, so you got, I feel like it, it just comes down to being a balance. Because if we all started doing it, every book was like that, then it's just, yeah, it's just white noise. Like, mm. that I wouldn't be much of a fan of. But, I like when we find little bits and pieces for it here and there. I think it, you can you can play with it and have fun with it. 
Yeah, it definitely. Well, it definitely suits the Batman universe as well, like uh, horror Halloween yeah. elements with Gotham. But that's the thing. Also, I don't know if you guys are reading. Um, I mean, I would think you would, but the Batman universe stuff that Bendis did with Darrington. Yeah, the, those were the Walmart books at first. The Walmarts, yeah. What do you guys think of those? Yeah, the, the stuff they're hard that they're, to find. It's, it's, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that anyone can jump on with it because it doesn't tie into any universes. There's no continuity stuff you have to worry about. It's just its own separate stuff. Yeah, I really liked it. I uh, it, I feel bad. Yeah, I know that was like hard to find. I, I just asked him for PDFs, so I was able to read it. And uh, I mean, I think it's the best stuff that Bendis has been doing at DC, and, and I really like Darrington a lot. Um, but that book, like, look at that. Like, there's not a horror book. That's just straight up superhero fun, you know? Mm. Uh, and that works. Like, it works really well. Like, it's not campy at all. It's just fun. And it's like, it feels like, you know, you're, you're I don't know, it works. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, how the animated series was to a, a certain way, you know? It's like, the animated series definitely had horror elements to it. Mm. Um, I've been watching, I've been re-watching the animated series, like, a little bit. Uh, every week just like I, i'm so busy all the time i can maybe like watch like one episode a week mm. but i mean we watching it a little bit and yeah there's definitely horror elements to it but there's still a lot of fun going on i think that's the stuff with the batman universe stuff that bendis did with darrington like it just has that but that's the thing like it's cool that, that exists and then batman superman exists and then you have tom's batman you have tomasi's batman mm. it's cool that you can if you are a fan of these characters you have different avenues you don't have to get them all if you get them all you might get a bigger narrative but you can just go get what you want uh, that's the stuff I'm, I get really excited about with comics is that the, the ability to have all those options. Mm. I, actually, you know, you uh, you know comic books, comic book history in the, in the industry inside and out. Uh, we haven't really spoke to any of our guests recently about this current news, and you'd probably have some amazing insight in terms of uh, all this talk about how Jim Lee came open recently. I think Forbes actually put it out in terms of digital sales being really weak and now you know th there's this question about the future of print or what's going changes in dc like what's your take on all of that oh man it's weird because i mean i started reading comics when i was you know a little kid and i started working at a comic book store when i was 14 and that's 1995 right this entire time like once you start working at a store you're around a lot of people who talk about comics the entire time I have worked in comics, like worked at a comic book store, um, been around comic book people, all of it, they've always been doom and gloom, dude. It's always the sky is falling. Mm. Even even in 97, I remember working at the comic book store and Marvel went bankrupt and it was like, you know, yeah, the sky was falling. Like people were freaking out. There was a huge implosion, like all that stuff. It has never changed. And so... To me now, and it's like, I, don't, I, I try to look for the warning signs and all this stuff, but I don't stress out about it. Like, I just get my head back down and get back to work. That's the only thing you can really do is make good books. Mm. That's the only solution you can do. There's no tricks. There's nothing you can do. You can make good books and try to get them in people's hands. That's all you can do with it. So when I hear that stuff, it's always kind of funny to me because I'm like, I've been hearing this my whole life pretty much. You know, you're always hearing this doom and gloom. You're always hearing this stuff. And things are definitely changing and the, the market is changing and the audience is changing. All that stuff is great, but none of it's bad. But I think sometimes change can be scary, you know. Mm. Uh, digital stuff, like I never, I've never heard digital numbers. It's like one of those things that's, that's that isn't unknown. We'd never really know them. Like that's something the bosses don't talk to us about. Right. It's yeah. a lot like music and how everything's going streaming. You know. Yeah. People, yeah. You know, people, and and I I keep my ear, you know, to the music business stuff <laughs> because you know that's kind of what I do. Uh, a little bit more 
on a hobby level sure. level, but you know, I, I still work with some people that um and know a lot of people that are in the music business. And that's you know, digital music is the future. But sure. yeah. like what you said, it's hard to pinpoint actually, you know, what the numbers are because yeah, I mean, with, with with digital comics, I mean, I don't think that's a secret. I'm not telling you anything that's super obviously because Jim said it. It's like, yeah, they plateaued, but they plateaued a long time ago. Mm, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I don't know why that Jim Lee interview was the one that, like, maybe because Jim said it and it was in Forbes, mm-hmm. but, or because it was, I think it was an io9 interview he did and then it got picked up on Forbes, but that's not new. Mm. Like, I feel like that's been kind of publicly talked about. Um, for a while now, mm. that digital sales have plateaued like a long time ago. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I think digital music sales have plateaued as well because everyone wants everything free digitally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, I listen. I listen to. I use Amazon. Um, I. It's funny we say free, but it's like I've I have Amazon uh, Music and it's right. like a Prime account. You pay a couple extra dollars more, and. I you know that's how I listen to music now. Like I just go on Amazon Prime, I type in the thing, or they they'll advertise like oh new album. I click and listen. That's it. You know, right? Um, that's how I do it. So it's like I'm not sure what the equivalent of the comics are with Marvel. There's a few books from Marvel that I buy when they come out. It's a few here and there, right? So it depends. Uh, it's like Immortal Hulk, Absolute Carnage, uh, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get those right. I get them when they come out that week. But everything else. Um, well, I got Howard, I got House of X and Powers of X too. I really like those a bunch. But uh, a lot of stuff, not to say everything, but a lot of stuff, dude. I just read on the Unlimited. Um, you know, like Doctor Strange. I started reading Doctor Strange because of Unlimited. I really like it a bunch. Um, but like right now, I've been rereading Bendis's New Avengers, and I swore I had the hardcover of it. I swore I did. I thought I had an omnibus of New Avengers, and I don't. And there's a part of me that was like, well, I gotta buy that. Like, I don't have a copy of New Avengers. What kind of fan am I? <laughs> uh, like, I gotta go buy that New Avengers omnibus. But then I was like, wait, all of that is on Unlimited, all of it. And I wanna read it. So I'll just read it over there. So it's like, but I still pay that membership fee every year. And I'm not sure what the effect of that is on our industry. I really don't know. I have, I, I don't I wonder how many people are doing the same thing. You are like checking out a book on unlimited or you know whatever wherever they're uh, reading digitally and then say oh i I really like this i'm going to start picking up the physical copies when i'm at the shop you know i I wonder how much uh that is that's happening yeah i think it depends so like dr strange was one where this is a a weird thing but like when dr strange i i read all of it whatever was up to date on uh marvel unlimited so i went i read all of it that was on there but it's six months behind right like six months behind publishing so i went to my comic book store and i was talking to the guy and i was like oh you know i really want to um like you have dr strange comics he was like no we're sold out they, they were so the, the shop that i go to they usually saw out of everything um because they're like they're mostly a pull store um the shop that's closest to my house is mostly a pull place right like people go and pick, pick up their comics from their pool and that's it they don't really keep a lot on the shelf as much um and so I was like, all right, that's fine. But he was like, however, we had a lot of people who did not pick up their polls. And they just like, they had that, like, that stack. You were seeing that? Or people have like a stack of people who didn't pick up their polls. And yeah, I, went I, I work in a show, so I, I see it all the time. 
dude, yeah. So I, I was like, hey, can I flip through this? And he was like, yeah. And I went through there and I found like, I found all the Doctor Strange, so, uh, they were published up to date, plus like a bunch of other little things. And I was like, I'll buy all of this. Like, I will help this shop out. So I bought the Doctor, <laughs> a bunch of other stuff that was in there that I was like, I'm kind of interested in this. So sometimes it does happen for me. It just depends. There's some stuff I'll buy. So like with Mortal Hulk, that was one of those books that I'll probably buy in like multiple versions. Like I was buying the issues at first. Um, then I switched over to digital and I will probably end up buying the the hardcover when they put out like the 12 issue hardcovers, you know. Um, same thing with, I mean, with DC is weird because DC, I get everything for free. So um, with that one, I just have like stacks of DC stuff around my house and I read it all when it comes out. Like I read all that stuff Wednesday morning. But with Image, I'm trying to think. Image, I think there was a couple where I would buy like one or two issues worth and then I would end up buying the, well, I'm just buying the hardcover collection or something. But yeah, I don't know how many people go from the digital and go over and. But I think that's one of the benefits of the six month gap because if you're like hardcore into it and you find out you can go buy the tray or the six issues to get caught up, just go buy it and catch up. You know. This is uh, Joshua Williamson. I write uh, Batman Superman that is coming out August twenty eighth. Um, you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Hey Gotham dwellers, make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.